1: Plushcare.com/slash/weight-loss.
2: Welcome to Books Boys, live from the Grand Library. The Dean and
0: EJ. What?
3: Is PJ Hello
1: there everyone? What's up? I'm I'm the
3: dean and we are the Books Boys. The Books Boys. The one and only. This is the Books Boys Show. Get it, buy it,
1: books. Books. PJ, how are you? I'm doing well, yes. I've I've I I I think I'm slowly getting to understand what books are. They're um they're a collection of, of of papers and They've got ink on them. They've got and, ink. This is, this is what we learned. We yes. thought last month they were toilet roll, but they, yes. they've
3: they've got ink on. That's the difference, you see.
1: Yeah, and you're right. Yeah. And they're supposed to suppose it's it's quite a bizarre concept, actually. It's supposed to be you take a tree and you you know you have to you have to forgive the tree. I say, can I take can I take your wood? And then you and then basically you get a lot of thin sheets of, of paper, basically. And supposedly there's a whole universe. I don't know how this works, but suppose there's a whole universe, a whole different life in between the pages of a book that came from a tree with ink that probably came from an octopus. So So, so let me see if I understood this correctly. You take around 700
3: pieces of paper. On about 50 of them, you write a, a kind of love story. And then
1: on the rest, you—you, you, I assume you write some kind of agricultural manual, right? That—that That is the, <laughs> guys, that is the best-selling method of the Anna Karenina method. There so if you want go. to write a book, if you want to write a big, epic book, don't worry about it. Just, just you know, get that story. That's a bit difficult, the 50 page story. <laughs> and then just get yourself a nice agricultural manual and kind of mix it in. Have the story in the middle. It, it's a best-selling, look, it's a best-selling method, right, then? it's it's the way to do it it really is i think that's it's the way it's the way to do it become an immediate an immediate classic there you go there you go so then so we've read a lot of books this month
3: we've read more books than usual but we're gonna try to keep it concise because the episodes
1: are getting just too
3: damn long they're gonna try to be concise so who
1: wants (laughs) to go first
3: uh, I can go first if you want. All right, um, go ahead. To be fair, I'm only going to talk about four books, but I've I've actually read a, a lot more than that. Yeah,
1: yeah, you, you actually yeah. have. Just about to say, uh, but you're yeah. going to yeah. Well, you're explaining that in a second what it is. Go ahead. I explain. Yeah, so so the first book I read was a, a
3: an Agatha Christie book, and you can hear about that on Caper Captains at sure. Patreon.com/slash Books um, and the last book I read, which I'm going to finish tomorrow, is another Agatha Christie for next month's Caper Captains. Okay. Um, nice. and i also read um the odyssey the famous well, you know the famous greek uh, book by homer the epic poem and i read that for an upcoming uh crossover with the history podcast well that aged well and we'll have um a nice um crossover bonus episode coming out maybe next month uh, with that looking forward and to and actually I, I read that in the swimming pool in one a day and a half so
1: you read the odyssey in a day and a <laughs> half <laughs>
3: yes are you serious
1: now, i have to confess well, call it, call
3: it two days if you, if you must i you?
1: have to confess i tried reading it and i just i couldn't finish it uh i mean like i know it's supposed to be great but it's just it's it's, it's very complex guys it's um well anyway what did you think i know you're going to mention just brief just very briefly did Just you enjoy briefly, it? i can talk I can take
3: two minutes i i think it's a really amazing piece of literature right um now, are you sure it was the Odyssey you're thinking of and not the Iliad? Because uh, I couldn't yes. finish
0: the Iliad. the Iliad. I couldn't was, finish
3: it. Uh, really, it was really, it was really tough going. Okay. Um, you know, the Odyssey is more of a novel.
1: It is more of a story. Okay. The Iliad is just endless lists of, of names and descriptions. And just then, because I think a lot of readers have the same question. Do I have to read the Iliad before I read the Odyssey, though? No, so Do I have to read the no. Iliad before I read the Odyssey? So technically, the Iliad is during the
3: war and the Odyssey is after the war. So yes, in a exactly. sense, it's a sequel um, but it is a self-contained piece of work and is it? it's okay. much more accessible okay. so I would actually recommend starting with the Odyssey okay cool and then I would recommend starting and giving up on the ads. it's a personal recommendation it's not worth reading but the Odyssey is really good oh good okay cool so other than that I read um four more books that I am actually going to talk about um, to be honest, I'm only really going to focus on three. The first okay. one's not going to take long, but the first book I read is A Monk's Guide to Happiness Meditation in the 21st Century by Geelong Thubten. Wow. Okay. Now, this is Sunday Times bestseller. I picked it up in, in Waterstones. This is the first book I've bought in a bookshop for full price. So not a secondhand bookshop in about six years. Wow. Um, okay. But I, you know, I just, I felt that it was time to try some meditation, you know, um, Indeed, i, I often I'm said a, so
1: to yourself I did.
3: that's it you've told me for a while times are tough and everything and i just thought yeah i'm stressed with with work with the pandemic with everything else it'll do no harm to try a meditation uh, book cool. so obviously like there's not a lot to review here in the sense that there's no plot it's also very short it's about 200 pages uh, and there's not much writing on these pages and um, you know in terms of a normal novel i would call this about 150 pages okay um, and that includes, you know, some talk about his, his life as a monk, you know, going into like, he started off with like a party kind of like stressed out lifestyle. And then he went uh, into some, you know, he, he became a monk and he went into like a, f- a few months long retreat and eventually ended like a four year retreat. And now he does a lot of ambassador type work and seminars and things like that. So that, that, that's basically his story. Um, but he's been doing this now for 25 years and he's now written, I think he's written a second book as well, to be honest. Um, But he's written this, this book and, you know, it just gives you his story. Isn't really that interesting to me, but it gives you some meditation exercises at the end of each chapter as well. Um, And so some of those will be based on, you know, he says not to worry too much about overthinking it, not to focus too much on trying to shut out all your thoughts. Just just doing it is the important thing. Mm. And maybe one exercise will be based on you know, focusing on your breathing, but another might be focusing on looking at an object, and another one might be focused on listening to a particular sound or whatever. So there's a range of different uh, exercises with, with a different focus to, to meditate on. So every- uh, and I did
1: find it quite helpful. Great. Uh, what, any particular technique that you've been using ever since you've read that book? That you're just really helping your life, making you happy? Um, the
3: very first time I did it, I actually felt it quite strongly, but it, then it weakened. Um, and I, the last week or so, I haven't done any, so I do need to what, kind of get back what, to what it. What was it?
1: What was the first thing? The
3: first one, it was about letting the feeling go all up your body. So it was yeah. about starting to focus in your toes and kind of working up towards your head, you know, up through the torso and and, and just kind of feeling the the kind of energy through your body. And oh. um, that that was the technique that I that that had me more than you know focusing on sights or sounds. To be honest.
1: Wow. Okay. That that that's a technique I actually use every few days or so. Um. Lisa taught me that. Especially if you, especially after doing a physical activity like yoga, and then you sit down and you concentrate on, uh, perhaps like express like feeling joy from your from your like giving yourself an, a mental massage actually starting from your yeah. toes to the bottom. And there's a different meditation where it's also like letting the fear inside and feeling it and really embracing it because is a different, but it's also a kind okay. of like feeling the whole body. Interesting.
3: Well, it was helpful for me because I was always put off meditation by not really knowing what to do. So it's actually yeah. useful to have it written down in a book in front of you, telling you what to do, you know, because I, I work quite well. Uh, that way yeah Yeah,
1: no that's great yeah Yeah. and this
3: is quite a new book as well it's only published 2019 and so it's probably the one of the newest books i've ever actually like reviewed and 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 read on the show because normally i'm set in the past (laughs) Um, no pj (laughs) i had to i had to swiftly correct this um Uh by immediately then reading another jane austen
1: and of course you needed your you needed your pre-victorian um yes moral kind of tales. yes
3: indeed. i did and i'm almost finished my, my way through them now which is good she only has six novels and for some strange reason i only have five of them in my house Uh this is the fourth so there is only one more uh for me but this is persuasion All Right now pj i'm gonna try to persuade you here that this is her worst novel at least out of the four really? i've read so far yeah it's the worst
1: uh is this the one that was uh published posthumously as well as well as yes. Um, no, so it, as well as,
3: unlike uh, most of her novels, where she would you know write an early draft and then come back to it, mm-hmm. this is one that she wrote at the end of her life, and then it was published. You know, a few months after she died. So she probably, did, she probably didn't have free time to like, yeah,
1: revise. Yeah, I, I think so.
3: But I mean, some of the reviews say that it's it's her most advanced novel in terms of her writing style because she had time to develop. You know, as a writer, yeah. uh, I, I don't see it. To be honest, I I find it very dull okay and it's it's a short one as well you know i think it's about 250 pages or so if i can remember correctly it's not a massively long novel um i don't want to say it loses its way i want to say that it kind of never really gains its way to begin with um so here's what happens right we have the elliot family so we Mm -hmm. have the the father and the um the eldest daughter elizabeth there's two other daughters mary and anne so mary's already off and married um, and she does a bit of the old nagging housewife and curt jerking, <laughs> complaining about the neighbours who are actually relatives and and all that kind of thing. So that that's Mary. She's sort of to the side. Um, Elizabeth is the mistress of the household because the mother's dead, and she's very close with the father, uh, Mister Elliot, and they do their whole um their whole thing t- together. They're running the house, and huh. that's that's their vibe, and that's grand. Then we have Anne. Now Anne starts off as the Kind of unimportant sister. Okay. Now, okay. in all these Jane Austen books, there's always three or four sisters. There's always one that's totally irrelevant. But in this book, huh. and maybe she did develop as a writer because in this book, she flips it. All of a sudden, Anne becomes the lead character, which you okay. don't see coming in, in the early, you know, the first chapter or two. Um, uh-huh. So what's basically happening is the family are running out of money. They need to rent out their house and move to Bath, just like they went to Bath in Northanger Abbey, which was my favorite.
1: Well, what's, um, what's so, the thing with Bath? Because I thought Bath was like a, a place for
3: yeah. Because English people just like to go there. It's their favorite. Uh, they used to call it a watering hole. Is
1: the expression? You know? Sure, yeah. It was, I, I think hole. it was the first a thermal bath made by the Romans. Romans, yeah, in, yeah, England. yeah. I've okay. never been now to be honest, but um, so basically,
3: what happens is you know they they go there. Anne joins them a little bit later um, because there's a girl in the family or a lady in the family called Lady Russell, and she's a kind of cousin or something like that. She's the only one who takes any notice of Anne, so Anne yeah. spends a lot of time with her rather than with her father and. Sister, because they just disregard her completely, you know. And there's there's an an example where they're talking about well, when's Anne joining us, you know? In and and the sister Elizabeth says, "Well, I'm sure nobody here wants her, you know. Like we, (laughs) as long as she wants with Lady Russell, she's not needed here, you know. So she's completely disregarded." Um, Now, what happens is the people who rent out the house are Admiral Croft and his wife Sophia, I believe it is. And but what actually happens is the brother of that wife is a certain Captain Wentworth who Anne used to be almost engaged to. Oh, so she's now thinking, oh, this chap's going to come back on the scene. I've not seen him in years. We were, you know, walking out together. We were almost sort of officially engaged, but not quite. And Lady Russell said he wasn't right for me and told me not to marry him. And off he went. Oh. So, he, so he's coming back. But at the same time, they run into another Mr. Elliot, who is actually the heir, because the girls can't inherit. So it's a it's a distant cousin, Mr. Elliot, that they don't really know uh, who is the heir. Now, they met him one summer and invited him to the house and he didn't go. And then it turned out he fell out with the family and he's a bit of a rascal and they don't like him. But he also reappears on the scene and tries to court Anne as well. So oh, she goes Lord. from
1: being irrelevant to actually having two suitors that she has to choose between. OK, and I suppose they have to persuade her. They have to persuade her. Now, I have a quote or two here. Um
3: it's so it's quite funny this one here but i hate to hear you talking so like a fine gentleman as if women were all fine ladies instead of rational creatures we none of us expect to be in smooth water all our days so there's a little bit of of hmm. equality and feminism coming in here from jane austen she's and actually I, saying in this one not to, not to
1: molly coddle the the ladies they're, does, they're, she, does she not do that with her earlier novel so much no
3: Maybe a snippet here or there, but that was the first time I really saw, like, uh, this is a, an actual usable kind of quote. It's very strongly stated. Okay, good. You know? Interesting. Okay, cool. Um, and here's another that gives you a good idea of things. Um, so this is just to give you an idea of the vibe in the novel. Huh. You will wonder, said she, what has been fixing my eye so long? But I was looking after some window curtains, which Lady Alicia and, Mr. Frank- and Mrs. Franklin were telling me of last night. They described the drawing room window curtains of one of the houses on this side of the way and this part of the street as being the handsomest and best hung of any in Bath. I cannot recollect the exact number, and I've been trying to find out which it could be, but I confess I can see no curtains hereabouts that answer their description. So they have boring lives, PJ. Um, because they're, <laughs> they're spending a lot of time talking about a neighbor's curtains, you know, so that's the kind of setting that we're. And you always
1: here. tell me, whenever you tell me about these Victorian, pre Victorian novels, you always tell me about these women, like, he just, like, they leaned their head on daddy's knees and stuff and talk <laughs> about curtains. I just, like, it doesn't, you're not re- I'm not sure you're not really selling it too much. I mean, I love these no novels.
3: i i like the idea of it but i think in in, in practical terms it might not be a fun <laughs> lifestyle um but he, here's a i think you just, lo- which, you
1: just love the clothes don't you, you just love like i love the, the way they
3: dress and like and the way know, they the speak and, yeah <laughs> <things> exactly <like that. laughs> here's a quote that gives you elizabeth's personality so she says very well i have nothing to send but my love oh you may as well take back that tiresome book that she would lend me and pretend i have read it through I really cannot be plaguing myself forever with all the new poems and states of the nation that come out. Lady Russell quite bores one with her new publications. You need not tell her so, but I thought her dress hideous the other night. I used to think she had some taste in dress, but I was ashamed of her at the concert. Something so formal and arrangé in her air, and she sits so upright. My best love, of course. So just a lot of backstabbing (laughs) and bitter, you know, uh, gossiping kind of going on and, and yeah. Um, That's all I have to say, really, about Persuasion. The only last thing I want to say about it is um, there's actually... The um, the version I have comes with an alternate ending. Oh, really? Um, So there's two endings. There's the original removed ending, which was actually shorter, more concise, and wrapped everything up with the theme of Persuasion Uh and brought the story back to the Crofts who rented the house, which is a large part of the book uh, at the beginning. Okay. The new... The ending that they put on that she wrote like a few months later was actually longer, more convoluted, more drawn out, and didn't wrap the story up and didn't talk about persuasion. Um, so I don't know why they, you know, why she changed that ending. I, I much preferred oh. the the original ending actually than ending the new on. ending. Okay, yeah, okay. Uh, it just brought everything full circle because the first you know, quarter of the novel is just about renting out the house. So, you know, then yeah. that becomes irrelevant. And I thought, well, at least this version ties it back, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, okay, Okay. rather than just leave it hanging there.
3: Yeah. So after that, I followed in through our Victorian period, and I came to um, a certain Madame Bovary.
1: Madame Bovary, the classic. The classic. Now, have you read this one, PJ? No, but we did talk about we it. We talked that, about yeah, it. I wasn't I'm, sure I'm, if you'd read I'm, it or I'm not. i to a it. So Gustave Flaubert. Uh, Written in the 1840s, was it? Or was it a bit later? I believe 18... Let me just double check. I wanted to say...
3: I want to say 36 or 56. Let me just quickly double check.
1: So, guys, this is a French classic uh, around Balzac's era, but it's slightly later. 56, yeah, 56. It's slightly later than Balzac. So going beyond um, basic realism into something else. So tell tell us about it. Like, I, I know about... Uh, the book and about the time period. I haven't read it yet. So what did you? So think I'll about- tell you
3: where my confusion comes from in the dates. Old Gorio that we did last time was mm. 35, 1835. Yes. And this one was then eighteen uh, fifty six. Yeah. Um. So typically Flaubert stuff comes, you know, a little bit after um, after Balzac. Mm. And again, we're you know we're we're moving forward in time. If we go back to Jane Austen, we're talking eighteen eighteen for the book I just reviewed. So we're we're progressing through time here. And um, I like this one. What I like about Flaubert versus um, Balzac is that the realism is not as, not as jagged. It doesn't punch me as much. It doesn't make me cry, you know? It, it, it doesn't affect me. It's not as strong, but in a
1: way, it's nicer. Um, tell me this. Um, there's been a lot of comparison between Anna Karenina and Madame Bovary. Anything you can see between that? Because I I um, read
3: Madame Bovary. Yes, yes. There, there is a certain... So the lead character... There is a certain similarity in in the characters. Okay, um, okay. but Flaubert accidentally forgot to include the farming manual, oh, so that's where the similarities end. It's a I shorter know. book, PJ. It's, it's a true. shorter book. Okay, uh, yeah. Like here's an interesting thing. This book's about 300 pages. I read it again. I think in about two days. Whereas Persuasion, although it's actually shorter, took me a week to read just because it was so boring. So, so, ma'am, Bovary. Uh, so, what's so good about it? Right. It, 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 it hit me right where I want to be hit it. So basically what that sentence didn't make any sense. It hit me right where I wanted to be hit. Um, so basically what we have is this girl, this, this Madame Bovary, she is um, seeking something that I've spent a lot of time seeking, which is this, this romanticism in life. Uh, uh-huh. you know? So Indeed. before I kind of focus on her, I should take a little step back. We have this chap, Charles, um, and he doesn't really like his wife, but then his wife dies. So that's fine. So he goes, um, he's a doctor, so he goes to help a, a chap. And while he's there, falls in love with her daughter. And that's the one who he then marries. And that's the Madame Bovary of the, of the book. Okay, oh, okay, It's his second wife, actually. Uh, so he didn't like the first wife, but he's madly in love with the second one. And he'll basically do anything for her. Uh, she doesn't really feel the same way. Oh, regrets marrying him. And all she wants is something more. She spends her whole time wanting you know where's the poetry in life she wants you know, I made a song once what do you want to do when when I, when I grow up? I want to live in a Renoir painting you know and, she, she wants that
1: and, and Renoir came like just a, a few years later, you know maybe fifteen years later yeah. so but um by the way uh, uh Madame Bovary is supposed to be like uh, uh it's supposed to be almost a parody of Don Quixote, so Fla- gossip Fluber, I read about this that he was very influenced by Don Quixote. In that sense of the story of the man, in this case a woman who wants to go back in the past and live this romantic lifestyle. Yeah. Like herself, uh, Dana, if I Dina you know, Yeah, like like me. And
3: that is what she wants, actually. And yes. um I have a quote here that will that will actually give it to you quite concisely because she she wants um Okay, so the girls would often slip out of the schoolroom and go see her. She knew by heart the love songs of the last century, singing them to herself as she plied her needle. She would tell stories, bring you the news, do your errands in town, and then the big girls, clandestinely, one of the novels she always kept in the pocket of her apron, from which the good lady herself devoured long chapters in the intervals of her task. This is just some old maid that she knew growing up that, that she got this influence. They were about love letters, loving, martyred maidens swooning in secluded lodges, Postillions slain every other mile, horses ridden to death on every page. Dark forests, aching hearts, promising, sobbing kisses and tears. Little boats by moonlight, nightingales in the grove. Gentlemen brave as lions, yet also tender as lambs. Somehow, virtuous as a dream, always well dressed and weeping pints. You know, so she wants to. to,
1: She wants Dumas, basically. (laughs) Indeed, yeah. Okay, okay. So, guy living the past, the same as Don Quixote living in the past and reading those swashbuckle kind of books. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And that's the world that she wants to Many live ones. in. And I, I, at the start, I liked her and I empathized with her until I realized that no, she is the villain of the piece. Um her, her poor long suffering husband who would just do anything for her. And she, she goes off and, you know, similar to sentimental education, the other Flaubert book that we read, but uh, she has two affairs. Okay. So first she's with a chap, I believe called Leon. And then she's with a, a certain Rudolph. Okay, now she spends, Leon, nothing really much happens uh, in the beginning. Uh, He kind of goes off, but then she she falls in love with uh, Rudolph and she's really, really quite in love with him. And at one point she thinks they might get caught, that she thinks that Charles might catch them. And this is what really made me hate her. This is how little she cares about the husband who dotes on her. Someone's coming. Do you have your pistols? Why? Why, to defend yourself. And he says, against your husband poor lad? And he basically says, look, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm having sex with his wife, but I don't want to kill the poor man. Like, he's never done anything against me. But she was perfectly happy to see him shoot her husband dead. You know, Uh, And it's it's that
1: that made me dislike her. (laughs) It's interesting because it's bringing in a little, it's it's bringing in that unrealism that comes later, even though it's still the realist period. It becomes uh, something else and becomes it uh, comes into symbolism, modernism now, so it just seems to be ahead of its time of just in having that absurdist kind of character i mean that's very absurdist, it's very modernist yeah
3: yeah so but she's she's going away to see Rudolph like on a, you know on a regular basis. They end up having these meetings, it goes on for a couple of years, I think, um but Rudolph thinks he's in control you know he 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 his plan is just to get a girl have a fling and move on you know mm. he's done this before. Um, But she falls in love, and she becomes actually very demanding and controlling of him. And he almost, you know, he falls in love as well, and they plan to run away together. Um, And I'm not going to, you know, give any spoilers about what happens. But there's one sort of guy, then I should say. So Charles is the doctor in this little village, and at one point, like he upsticks and moves to another village for her at her request, and then she can, you know, cheats on him there anyway. Like it's it's sad. He he does anything. And even when people are accusing her all around town, because she's very open and, and, and blatant about it, he won't believe a word said against her, you know, t- to, to the end. He, he never will believe a bad word. And at one point, they persuade Charles to try to cure, there's a chap with a clubbed foot, you know, who, who's a bit of a problem with his, le- his leg, and he limps around or whatever, and they decide to try to cure it using, you know, Victorian uh, techniques. And he's persuaded on by the local pharmacist who kind of dotes on him. Actually, he's his rival, but you don't realize that, and, and you oh. think he's his friend. Um, and he's constantly kind of pushing him on, and you know, respect for the doctor and all that kind of thing. Um, and so, what happens is they they try this uh, this technique, which does not work and makes the poor chap much, much, much worse. Oh, it's boy. an absolute disaster. And he says, like, I could lose everything. I could be prosecuted. You know, dishonored, completely ruined, and lost. Oh. And his Emma, which is Madame Bovary, sitting opposite, was watching him. She did not share his humiliation. She had her own to endure, that she had ever thought such a man could be worth anything. So she pushes him on to do it. And then when it doesn't wow. work, doesn't feel bad for him, feels bad for herself for being associated with him. You know,
1: it's really sad, actually. Wow. Okay. Crazy. But nevertheless, he said it was very gripping. And I read it in two days. Yeah, and, and, you know, Flaubert, he worked on what he called uh, le mot juste, the exact word. So he's very pedantic. He took a long time to write this novel, five years, six years, five, five years, I think. Uh, do you find, and I think this might be lost translation maybe, but do you find like that nevertheless, um, that the way that's written, that's very exact? Or do you feel like there's, some, there's a lot of rambling going on, a la Tolstoy?
3: No, I, I find it more exact. It's a yeah. short book, That's actually. I expect, and yeah. I, yeah, I don't find it too rambling at all. I think it's really, it flows really well. And it made, it made me want to finish it, you know, immediately. It's a very addictive book. Wow. Okay. Um, and here's the thing. I'm not going to tell you anything about the ending, but in a small sense, she, um, she does get her comeuppance in a very romanticized way, um, mm. which is fun. You know, almost irony that she wants this, rom- this ultra romance. And mm. she, she does kind of get it. Um, but she, you know, she falls totally in love with Rudolph and she says, you no, know, she wants him to have never loved anyone before. And he says, well, you know, did you did you think I was a virgin and laughs at her, you know, because oh. he's been doing this for years with with various women. Oh. Um okay, see. but she wants, you know, she wants the ultra romance from him. And he kind of plays at it for a while with her. Um, but, you know, that that's it. It's, it's not really going anywhere. Um, but this is. A really, really, really great novel, and I would, I would highly of all the books that I'm going to discuss today, it's the one I recommend most.
1: Wow. Well, okay. Uh, guys, uh, not just he uh, loves it, but I mean, for example, Mario Vargas Llosa from Episode One, who wrote the city, um, uh, La Ciudad de los Perros, he actually wrote a whole book about uh, Man and Bovary and uh, oh. Flaubert's Yeah, called the uh, Perpetual or- Orgy. Actually, he actually wrote a whole book just about that. Book. That's how much he loved it. And also, Michel Foucault, who I really loved, uh, the philosopher, was a big fan. Um, and also, kind of like the people who came after Flaubert, like Guy de Maupassant, who I really love, the short story writer, so the big short story writer, uh, was a big admirer of Flaubert. And in fact, they say that he might have been Guy de Maupassant's father, a legitimate father as well. So that's another great author. Came afterwards, Emile Zola was a naturalism. Also loved Flaubert, um, Franz Kafka, Nabokov, um, uh, Nabokov, Kurtz. Uh, all these, all, all these authors, they all really admire, particularly uh, Madame Bovary,
3: mm-hmm. as well as
1: Sentimental Education, Flaubert in general. This and, was better than Sentimental Education, by the way. Oh yes, by, you by read the day. French. Yeah, yeah, we we covered it on, I think it oh, was that's a, right. yeah, yes, of course I two or three, um, and yeah. this was better. Yeah, you weren't that impressed, I remember that, yeah. Wow, okay, cool. The problem
3: is, I, I was new to Flaubert and Gorio, uh, and Balzac, sorry, uh, and this hmm. time I didn't read it with all Gorio, I read it a month apart, but last time I did Sentimental Education and Cousin Bet, yes. a Balzac book, back to back, and just the one-two punch of it was too much for me. Yeah, Maybe yeah, that's I like yeah, yeah, I
1: remember it, you weren't that uh, impressed, yeah.
3: And the cool. last book that I want to talk about, and I'm, I'm gonna be fairly brief. Um, I took your recommendation, PJ, but we I've gone astray. So yes, I went Pérez Caldos and I, I went to a bookshop in in <laughs> in Orense in Galicia. Yeah. And I, I asked for a recommendation and, and you know he recommended Trafalgar.
1: Oh, God,
3: Lord. Now the poor chap he, he, he gave it to me for free actually. Nice um him. with some nice bookmarks. I bought a lot of books and he he gave me, you know, one for free. Um, and he, he was a lovely fellow. Um but he I read this in Spanish and I've read other books in Spanish. I mean we talk, we read all the Zafan uh, yeah, sure. you know, books. Um I struggled with this one and I didn't know if it was the, the language or if it was just a boring story, but then I spoke to you and you said no, it's kind of boring.
1: It's this, it's, this book, yeah.
3: man, this is 180 pages. It took me like a week and a half. I couldn't get through it.
1: When you told me that you got that book, and you know I'm a big we talked it last episode. I'm a huge big fan, Benito Pérez does for those of you who didn't get the chance to listen to our awesome almost two-hour episode last month. <laughs> we Sorry, went, guys. We went on about it, that he is one of my favorite authors, and that I like him. oh Just as much as... Well, I can't say that, but... um uh, Just as much as Dickens and Balzac. I say that. Those three, mm. Dickens, Balzac, and Mito Keresko, those are the big three realist authors of the, er, not early, but like the 1830s Um, excuse me, not Galdós. he came afterwards. Um, uh, Galdós came like the 80s, but he Mm. started realism in Spain. And you chose my least favorite book from Anita Gris (laughs) Galdós, and I've read a lot of his books. Trafalgar is the first book of Episodes Nacionales, which is a huge epic series of historical novels set in 19th century Spain, starting with the Battle of Trafalgar of 1805. And it sounds epic, actually, and it might get better, but I thought it was so dull. The 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 this this novel Trafalgar. Sorry, it was. Yeah, yeah. it's it's
3: it just, not great. I feel bad. I mean, the, the chaps from your town, right? So you, you yeah, know more he's, more he's of, like, it's you on know? Gran Canaria. No, I know. I've been Les, to that's Palmas, right? I've been it's to been his house. Exactly. Yeah,
1: I've been to. But San you, San you know, I really.
3: just. Here's the... I mean, don't get me wrong. I bought one, maybe two more, Galdos. So there will be future episodes where I will try the
1: other ones. And what are the titles? Um, I've got here... Is it Misery Cordia? Yeah, so... uh, um, Yes, so Mercy. Misericordia is a good later Galdos. Mm -hmm. Really naturalist. I love it, yeah. I've got that one on my bookshelf. I think there might be another
3: one that I left behind in Spain that I can get another time. Um, Okay. But, yeah, so there will definitely be more. Um, But this one... I mean, so here's what happens. He follows the Anna Karenina method, okay? So at the beginning, there's a little bit of story and this chap, you know, he's working in this house and he kind of falls in love with the the girl there, but, you know, she likes two other guys and beginning he thinks he doesn't like them, but then they all go off to the war together. Then just insert, you know, 60% of the book is just lots of details about the war and it's very tedious and very boring, Iliad style, you know? And then at the end, we wrap up with a bit more story.
1: It, and my like,
3: God, I struggled to get through. I don't like. I wouldn't even watch a war movie. It's just not something I'm interested in. Sorry.
1: Sorry, and battles. battleship
3: scenes in intricate detail for like a hundred pages. Like I, I really
1: struggled to get through it. Interesting really enough, did interesting enough. It came a bit before Anna Karenina. So if anything, Tolstoy actually he oh, might have uh, read wow. that and thought yeah, 18, 1873. Anna Karenina's <laughs> eighteen seventy seven. Uh, but. Um, yeah, no, no, guys, uh, regard us, but try to avoid Trafalgar,
3: right? It's not. You know, the start is okay, because there's a bit of story and some characters, and the end is okay, you know, and he thinks, oh, have my friends died? Maybe they have, maybe they haven't. And and it's nice, right? I'm not going to sort of say what happens in the story, yeah. but 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 the it's just so much of it is just, you know, it turns into the Iliad or something, just describing like a blue by blue account of, of the, the fighting, and it's very, very dull. And I, but basically, you know, Trafalgar. So it was the the English versus. Sorry about this, PJ. It's English versus the uh, the Spanish and the French, right? Uh, so yes. we're we're you know pitted against each other here. But it was uh, it's that's very dull. I don't know. I don't recommend this one, to be honest.
1: No, I can't. I don't recommend it either. But I recommend Caldós, guys, for all of you. <laughs> um, it's it's one of his earlier uh, novels. I think it's it's a really early novel too. So I it is, don't yeah, because obviously, perfect. as you
3: say, it was the first of the the the, the, the national episodes. So it was. Uh, Quite early
1: yes um so although i like his early novels too but i think this one might have been just like he might have been slightly immature i'm curious about the other ones but uh, it's so dull that i just didn't want to continue episodes <laughs> nacionales. but yeah guys much, read, that's, that's not how i feel yeah. read benito perez gardos but try to get him in this kind of Kind of mixture of romantic and realist moods. Don't get him in the historical kind of drama. My my yeah. duty, This is this was a bit of a bestseller though at the time. You know, like the Spanish. The, the start and end are good. It was just the most of it. You know, this middle three fifths. I, yeah. I couldn't cope with. You know? Yeah, no, it was it, it was very uh, yeah. Well, let me tell you about the books I read. So was I've had a, I've had a great uh, reading month. I did more reading than usual. I confess, people, I haven't been reading as much lately uh, the last few months because I've been. Um, uh, well, no, no excuses actually. Yeah, I, I, my <laughs> my excuse is I've been busy writing. Actually, that's that's my excuse. Um, but anyway, so I I really was feeling stressed out actually uh, around the end of May, and um, I really needed something. I needed like a good story. I need something that's philosophical. And that brought me, that would bring me up to you know, nothing, nothing too dark philosophical you see. So I really needed like an upbeat novel. I wanted kind of a self help uh, novel. And mm-hmm. my intuition was right. Uh, there was a Michael Ende book um, in my bookshelf that has been waiting for years. So Michael Ende, or known as Michael Ende, is a German author, uh, kind of like, it uh, was born, perhaps, it was, yeah, he was born. During the Second World War, or just before that, his father was a surrealist painter, like a proper surrealist painter of the time, okay, thirties. And so he had the background of like his father drawing these surrealist Dali, you know, these dreamlike paintings, yeah, paintings by Freud. And Endes started writing these stories in the sixties, late fifties, sixties, that were really, really surreal and. Like intensely surreal, kind of. They were considered children's literature, but he always said that he wasn't really thinking about. He just was kind of like just writing for himself, and he wrote the famous book, uh, "The Never Ending Story." Do you want any Geschichte? Have you ever seen the film? I no,
3: I can't remember details, but it sounds familiar. I'm pretty sure I have seen it at some point. It's an
1: awesome film, eighties. So there you go. Awesome film. Loved it. Haven't read the book, so I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so this was my first Michel Ende book because I loved the movie, uh, The ang One- Story. And this book wasn't The ang Story. This book was Momo. Uh, Momo and the... Uh, uh, Momo... Uh, God, I'm trying to translate it from the German now. Uh, something like Momo and the story... or Momo or the story of how the girl brought uh, back time. Uh, to the people brought back the lost time to the people. And I think it's, in English it's just known as Momo and the great gentleman was a uh, bit of a ridiculous title, I think, but anyway, <laughs> but, but the great gentleman, who are they? So it's a great story. Uh, without spoiling it too much, epic story. It's Momo basically starts off with this girl who um, is basically just, she just appeared. It's, it's set in a kind of a fictional uh, Italy. I thought it was Greece. But i read afterwards it's very fictional it's very kind of it's very kind of his subjective impression of Italy. it's a very dream right right. and she goes to an amphitheater and she just stays there and the people come to her from the village and say oh who are you and she says momo who called you momo i I call myself momo do you have parents no how old are you she says hundreds because it's the only digit she knows actually that's why she says a hundred whoa okay okay and she says, "Actually, she's been. She doesn't know she's been there from the beginning." And the thing is, um, Momo has this gift, and it's it's and it's at the beginning. There are a few segments of the book, and the first segment is just Momo and her friends. It's very innocent, it's very kind of like almost in a kind of completely innocent. Just we meet to get uh, meet her friends. There's a kind of a Heidi atmosphere. In fact, Momo, I think, is quite inspired by Heidi. It's just this very kind of wild child, innocent kind of like barefoot. Um, But she, an orphan, except she really doesn't have any family, but the people from the village around, like take care of her. And it's all very sweet and she makes friends. And yes, so that's the first part. And she's got this incredible gift, which might not sound so incredible at the beginning. The gift is that she knows how to listen. And what I mean by listening is that she knows how to properly listen to a person up to the extent that anyone going to her can actually tell her things that they would never have told to anyone or even themselves. So she kind of heals people. She kind of like uh, people come to her and they've got something empty inside. And when they leave they're they're full again. And there is a famous advice that's, uh, the famous like motto of the village is "Something's wrong, go and see Momo and it's kind of like a nice. household phrase uh her, she gets she gets two friends they're very important uh two best friends, and one is beppo who's um uh beppo is basically uh he's this kind of buddhist uh sweeper so he just sweeps the streets and people think he's nice. crazy people think he's crazy because when they ask him a question he takes over if he takes a few hours to answer and in fact he's just thinking so much about it that when he answers they they've forgotten the question and her other friend is a younger man called Gigi and he's like a tour guide who just invents the stories he just completely he's got the he's actually got like the fountain of stories in in him so he can actually like come up with any story anyway that's very important for later, because what happens in the second part, which is called um, The Man in Grey. Oh, and that becomes extremely, like, you, you You think, like, first it's like this, like, little Heidi book, like, really innocent, and all of a sudden, like, I I literally had to stop a few times, because I thought, my God, this is getting skin deep, because this is where it gets really, really metaphysical. Me- the Man in Grey, the Grauen Herren in German, the Grey Gentleman, uh, are these kind of they're they're not real they don't they don't they're not real they're people but they're kind of like these people figured beings that came out of nothingness literally and they start invading the city in fact they start invading the city uh but they're purposely they don't want to draw attention uh what the men and gray do is they're all dressed the same they're all dressed mm-hmm. in, in gray kind of uh, and kind of right the dullest business suits they've got great faces mm-hmm. they're bold and they got gray hats and they always smoke a cigar and and they're very materialistic they've got always like kind of expensive toys for the kids and whatever requiring briefcases and the manner grade they go from one person to the next and what they do is that they actually convince people to give them their time because they have a time savings bank and this is very relevant because this is a, this is 1970s. This was written in, so I kind of want to give you. A I feel like
3: I remember this concept from some film or other.
1: Yes, well, there's, there was also a film and an, an animation made out of this. Mm. But the time saving bank that was so creepy because basically it's the way the man and grey described it is like, well, you know, you how much time do you spend with your with your mum and. Okay, well, spend an hour. Well, you could be spending that hour better, couldn't you? I mean, does she even listen? She's kind of like, oh, like, Oh, yeah, you might be right. And you see that girlfriend you've been seeing, well, it worked out. It's like, no. And it's like it's a way creeper, the way they talk. Mm-hmm. It's like they, they come in, they're they're huge cigars, and the way they talk is like described uh really uh kind of mechanically. They use numbers like crazy. So it's like and what Michael Ender does he's got a great technique, he doesn't actually put the numbers in digits he puts the numbers in written words so it becomes really nauseous because all of a sudden like half a page is like the the number one million uh thousand seven hundred sixty eight or whatever yeah? it's all written in words and becomes really nauseous at that point and you realize i realized um i realized that basically the man in gray is a metaphor for us it's basically we are this they're, they're right. time they're time thieves but when i realized that i, I really like i got a bit of a uh let's say panic attack but really i got like i rarely felt that distraught at that point because i realized jesus mm-hmm. christ the time time thief is actually me because momo is basically a girl who just like she has so much time that's her gift she just doesn't do anything she's kind of she's she's in the present. yeah but the time and thief take away your presence that's what they do because obviously, I
3: think I need to read this. This sounds amazing.
1: Because it is amazing because all of a sudden this relaxed Italian village, and I think that's why it's said in Italy. Um, because it's the ultimate Mediterranean sort of means um, I think that Michela and is getting. When I lived in Italy, I also got that impression, even modern Italy, that at least in the village you got this like the really They've got a better sense of time, of like just just be in the present, talk with your friends, you know, just don't worry about later. But all of a sudden, modernism enters the town, and the city becomes huge, and like the village, and like there is the new segment of the of the city where everything's just the same. Every building is exactly the same; it's all mathematical, and everyone's Mm -hmm. rushing, rushing, rushing because they gotta save time, and they don't realize this, but they've actually signed a contract with the man in gray. Which is basically that they will give them all their free time so that they can invest in the future, so they can live longer. But it's a trick because as soon as they sign that, they forget that they ever met the man in gray, and they're rushing so that they can save time in the future, which will never come because they will save time. Oh, they, they get swindled as well. They get swindled as well. And the thing is, I can't say too much, but the man in gray can they eat time if they? Well, actually, they smoke time. They make cigars out of time. And if they don't smoke the people's time, they will die and become nothing again. They came out of nothingness. And the Man in Grey also, also they don't have names. They just have numbers. And This one's amazing. Anyway, so I can't say more. That's the first half. But like Momo has the ability because of her being present, she is the only one who can, the, the time thieves can't get to her. And she has to save the people's time. She has to save people's times and people's lives. And it comes really more surreal later. I can't tell more, but basically guys, this is the ultimate novel, which at the same time is it's, it, I think it could have just been called Momo or the philosophy of time. Full stop. Okay. Because that's really what it is. It's the philosophy of time and the philosophy of this, like how it's like really horrible. Like the way modernism, you really are like, please, like I don't want to live in this modern world where everyone's rushing. And you get like these images, because you get like these images of like rushing Tokyo eighties, you know that kind of it's it's predicting that, and this is in the seventies, but he's already predicting yeah. what's going to escalate in the eighties, especially, with the economy, and it's it's genius, and it's really kind of, and it's there's a lot of Buddhism in there, and and mm-hmm. more and in the street uh, sweeper Beppo and in Gigi, that's why I mentioned those three, so they're kind of like the pillars of stories, slowness, and presence. And with yeah. these three concepts, you can save yourself. It's ultimately a self-help book, and it really helped me. It really helped me. It actually, I actually meditated on the concepts of uh, of time and like presence, uh, being present. Okay.
3: And am I right in thinking that you read uh, some other stuff that you could meditate to?
1: Yes. So like, I also continued reading the Tao Te Ching. So I've talked. Mm-hmm. To, so I've talked about this, and together with Momo. And the Dao De Ching. Um, yeah, I've just I've been doing a lot of meditation, going to the caves, and basically, guys, read the Dao De Ching by Lao Tzu. I've recommended it before, I recommend it again. And read Momo. Dao um, Te Ching is something that I recommend, and so does Wayne Dyer, who inspired me to read it. Uh, kind of a, the philosopher. Um, so I've um, so just basically meditate on the verse. It's all about being present. It, it is actually this Momo concept: being present, not rushing um being in the emptiness verse 11 which i was meditating last week is is basically um yeah um, if i can i'm gonna just paraphrase it from my mind it's um the wheel the center of the wheel in the center of the wheel there is nothing even though there are 50 parts around the wheel but it Mm -hmm. is the emptiness of the wheel that makes it function it's the emptiness of the wheel that makes it go a clay ves- vessel the practi- the practicalness of a clay vessel lies not in its material it lies in its emptiness only of the vacuum inside of it can you fill water into it a room a room uh, without emptiness is not a room you need the emptiness in a room to be able to live and to breathe we, even though we work with the material things it's the emptiness that makes it useful that's verse eleven, paraphrased largely, and basically it's all about like coming back to your what 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 is your meaning? It's it's coming back into your your emptiness. Actually, it's not really about who you are. Like I, I'm not mm-hmm. me because my body functions. There's if I if, as Wayne Dyer put it, if if I actually dissected every part of my body and still made it, still made it be alive somehow. Put it on the table. That's not me anymore. It's something beyond the physical. That's me. It's something that's empty. It's something that doesn't exist. I can't touch. That brings use and practicality into my life. Okay, yeah. we might need to have
3: an off-air discussion about this at some point because it's interesting to me. And I did read myself a month or two ago on your on yeah, your yeah, recommendation right. the first two uh, verses. But this concept of verse eleven is very interesting because I'm a problem I always have with with any kind of. Um, Personal identity, any idea of the self, is that I'm. I don't, you know, I'm not a dualist. I'm not like a, a Cartesian dualist. I kind of want to believe that we are nothing but the body, and that the self and the mind uh, don't exist. Huh. Um, so I, I think we get a very interesting discussion about that sometime.
1: Definitely, yeah, that could be a full new episode about. uh So yeah, you can also just go to verse eleven. I, I'm I'm doing chronologically. I'm doing one verse per week or two weeks. I'm thinking very slow, mm. but yeah, go ahead. So that's what I read for the. Um, Uh, for the self-help kind of part, but I'm actually very big into self-help because, you know, I'm doing the, just just for you listeners, I'm actually developing a course with, uh, it's my partner, uh, with Alisa, which is basically a course for uh, couples dealing with depression, specifically vegan couples uh, dealing with depression who want to gain higher consciousness and sensuality. So it's a course I'm developing, so therefore I'm also interested in this kind of stuff as well um moving on to that there was um i read after more and the and well, the doubt touching something i'm doing constantly but after more i went to the caves actually where i go to every few months and in the caves i do a lot of meditation but i also do a lot of reading actually to be honest i do more reading there than i would um, yeah so I, I really love it because it's just i just switch off and it's just my myself my thoughts uh, the book I'm reading and you know just it's it's a very empty terrain. It's caves and just like kind of very dry. You know what I'll it.
3: say PJ? Like I've seen I've seen the caves that you, yeah, were you in. But you,
2: I I I, I
1: I
3: visited, yeah. Yeah. I visited. I don't I don't know if I could spend like a whole you know day or weekend in a cave <laughs> like you do. But I should say I've tried to take your advice not just with reading a meditation book, but I spent most of the last yeah. month going from walks, like five, six hour walks every day in the sun enjoying gardens, sitting, reading on benches, just trying to
1: connect more with the outdoors.
3: You know, nice. So I, I, I,
1: t- I take your vibes. Yeah, and I, I loved uh, your last, uh, well, our last, but it was really our, your, your work. I, I loved the waterfall uh, ads you did uh, on TikTok. I thought that was epic. That was really kind of, yes. I could feel the negative. Oh, that's
3: our, our confession. But guys, not only are we on Instagram and, and Twitter, uh, we are now also on the on the TikToks. On the TikToks. Uh, so if you want to see me you know, twer- <laughs> twerking or whatever, that's get ad. on there. <laughs> I,
1: love I love the video. Uh, so uh, in the cave, I actually read uh, my dad's novel again. Um, so again, so guys, my dad recently wrote a novel, um, which I can't mention, tied to it. Actually, I can't talk too much about it. So we'll talk about it in the future. I actually read it a second time. That's how much I loved it. And once again, I just want to say, uh, I know he's my dad. So yes, yes, no, definitely. There's an element of that. So yeah, I'm biased. I, I can, but I can also read more into it. I can a lot in the background. Um, I read that and similar to Mom, one had a very philosophical sort of bend to it. Also, I also had to stop it a few times. Um, so it's also a very sort of vicious book at times. Can't mention more about it. I'll mention in the future. But I'm just saying, guys, sometimes when you go to these caves, maybe just take a book that really means something to you. That, that book already meant something to me. <laughs> one, um, One second,
3: VJ, because I, I, I support everything you're saying, but you did just yeah. say to the listeners, when you go to the caves, now I don't know how many of our listeners <laughs> are also doing cave retreats, but if you are, He's, you
1: know what to do oh guys that's what you gotta <laughs> do i recommend take a book that that you just know that you're going to love even if i haven't read her so and reading my dad's book again was really a great way of reconnecting to my dad i haven't seen it for a long time because of covid you talk mm-hmm. a lot they just I haven't do you know I've been, I've been chatting
3: to your dad this week myself actually. all
1: right great
3: just about some paintings just briefly like not not a lot but just a what as well.
1: yeah, yeah awesome well, i love the way we're all connected right um so i mentioned that in the future when it's published great book looking forward to it let me move on to the next book yeah sorry it's a lot of books i've been reading this is um, the most you've ever read actually <laughs> well it's it's been yeah it's been a good reading uh month um i can't talk about my dad's novel even though it's the one i want to talk the most about so just look forward to it i'll let you know more Kyron burke he's just releasing uh no explanation his new movie which is in film festivals to so look about from mm-hmm. that and there are also his CD is coming out, the soundtrack of it. Um, so have a look up, uh Kieran Burke, Kyron Burke. We
3: we played uh, two songs from the new album on few previous episodes. I believe episodes exactly. three the, and four. So feel lim- free to go back and check those out, guys.
1: The Limelight, yeah. Feel free. Um, so the book I read straight after my dad, very relevant because it's kind of related to my dad. It's a, a book by Herman Hesse who he has also mentioned when we did the interview with my dad. And me too. We, it's one of our favorite authors. And Hermann Hesse, guys, he is a German author. Won the Nobel Prize in 1946, I believe. Um, he wrote Steppenwolf, was most famous. Siddhartha is also very famous. He, at the 60s, he was the most popular non-English author in the world. Wow. Generally, yeah, especially in America and Japan definitely because he very much was a kind of like a pre-hippie so like mm-hmm. his books are very sort of Steppenwolf is very sort of trippy I mean they even had a band Steppenwolf you know Easy Rider. or that
3: I was gonna say that's a band isn't it yeah
1: yeah because uh, they're very much in the 60s they loved his because because Hermann Hesse grew up in uh, in a kind of a kind of a spiritual family and who often went to India and preached religious kind of spiritual family but he didn't really become so religious, more Buddhist and spiritual. And he can get that Buddhism in his books. And Narcissus and Goldmund was actually set in medieval Germany, not really what you expect to be esque. is really about free love. Like in the m- most innocent sense, I think as well, Not and also but also about intellectualism. It's about that conflict. It's one of my favorite books, but the book I read is a very short novella, uh, uh, was hand-drawn and hand-written by his friend, Peter Weiss. And it's beautiful because it's actually got this novel which is hand-written. And they just basically, it's not obviously hand-written, but basically it's um, it's drawn. And they kind of like just did, it's basically a picture book. So it's hand-written, if you know what I mean. Um, so you're just reading the, the actual writing of his friend, Peter Weiss, and the drawings he did for Hermann Hesse's little story called Skintight and the Sauberas," The Childhood of a Magician. So it's a non-German book. And The Childhood of a Magician is a very little known uh, novella or even fairy tale by Hermann Hesse. But it's totally worth it. It's autobiographical in a very magical, realist sense about how Hermann Hesse actually wanted to become a magician instead right. of a Reiser when he was a kid and it's really beautiful um it's a very short read but really simplistic showing you the the magic of childhood and how we lose that magic of childhood that's basically what the whole story is about and it's about him growing up and he can see the beauty of the world he can see the colors he can talk to animals he can even do a tiny bit of magic in himself in a sense of that what he wishes comes true um and it's really beautiful and it's kind of like it's it's, it's very much a little prince kind of novella mm-hmm. The illustrations the pace, this the, the short is this powerboat about you can regain your childhoods just become more work and let go of your of your adult's kind of self and needs okay. so, so again guys i've been reading a lot of these kind of like parable about basically kind of like it's momo de shing and uh, childhood of a it's all about coming back to your roots which is for me at the moment very interesting coming just just coming back to you, just coming back to basics you know
0: just
1: mm-hmm. don't make it too detailed and guys i've got to say we're finishing up now i've got to mention one last novel uh, we meant to keep it short so i'm going to keep it short But I do have to mention the novel I... And I also started reading this on the cave. So I really did a lot of reading that weekend because this is the third novel I started reading in this cave. And guys, this is very different. Uh, We're getting very political, actually. This is Nugugiwa Tiongo's uh, book, Devil on the Cross. Have you ever heard of Nugugiwa Tiongo?
3: No, never.
1: So he is Kenya's foremost author. Uh, he had to leave Kenya because his books were too politically, obviously, controversial. And uh, Nugugiwa Tiongo, he started writing in English under colonialist uh, Kenya. And soon before, just before it became independent, or during the time it became independent, he also started realizing that he didn't want to write in this colonial language. And in fact, I think his name was, I think he called himself James Tiong'o because they all had Christian names before and he got rid of it and he called himself his his birth name. The word, Tiong-o. I can hardly pronounce it. This guy is, I've read his novel, The River Between, uh, which was before it became really political. And it's also heavy going, but really easy to read. Uh, but this one is, is a lot later, in 1980. And it, he doesn't even write in English anymore. He says he just won't write in English, even though he's fluent in English. He wrote in his own language, Kikuyu. And really, guys, Devil on the Cross is such a, my God, it's such a powerful novel. Uh, it's one of the, it is one of the darkest novels uh, I've read out. They're one of those horrific kind of novels. If you want to understand uh, post-colonial Kenya, about kenyans actually um uh, abusing fellow kenyans not really about not really about the white colonists anymore which he might have written about at the beginning uh no he's talking about like we're independent but we're actually worse now than we were mm-hmm. before we've taken these white norms he does criticize still white culture a lot uh but he focuses like on like how everyone, how these rich people are abusing um ke- uh yeah Poor Kenyans. And he, but it's really relevant because he, the protagonist is a woman, Jacinta Waringa. And she's really interesting because she goes through hell and hell again. And it's really about her finding her ultimate role and becoming like, no matter what these, because really, like, the villains are men and Devil on the Cross. Not all of them, but like most okay. of them for men. And she's kinda of like saying, like, well, no matter what happens, I'm going to make Kenya strong again. Kind of like and it's there's a lot of kind of metaphors of womb and womanhood and babies and like the devil on the cross. Like she keeps dreaming about a black devil, actually. Uh that's sorry, like, excuse me. That's the way she describes it. Yes, and she's using these kind of racist terms really, but because in her mind really it's like it, it's like the, it's like this is beyond dark skins and it's very hard to understand actually because this is the opposite of like white nationalism. She's talking about like the ultimate sort of kenyan uh who goes astray and he's not anymore in his roots he's kind of all right so i am um i am kenyan but I've taken up these white norms and inside I, I, I have a white cold heart and it's the devil on the cross basically, it's just a metaphor but the devil on the cross is not a white man it's a it's a Kenyan man and it's very shocking actually the things that, that the, the people she encounters that try to take advantage of her okay that's all I'm going to mention it's about post-colonial Kenya guys uh, shocking stuff, sorry if I was a bit graphic in it, but it's really Shocking. and really relevant, I find as well. So okay. well a, a PJ, now that we've talked about what we're going to read, obviously we'll close with
3: our with our recommendations as always. And um, but just quickly, I want to quickly touch on a couple of um you know pieces of AOB. So guys, if you want to get in touch, you can of course email booksboys at hotmail.com. That's where you can get in touch with us. Tell us what you're reading. There's still more mystery books to be given out to anyone who um, you know, you can be entered every month. I give one book away to anyone who would like to tell me what they're reading. Uh, We did get some feedback Um, just this morning, actually. Some feedback came in. Uh, They like our accents, PJ. That was all we got, but they like our (laughs) accents, so I'll take that. Um, I forget the name of the chap, um, but yeah, we were told this morning that we have nice accents. Is that Um, that the comment? You have nice accents? Yeah, I like your accents. That's literally all it said. (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) Well, thanks very much. That's very charming. I get it. We got that. Um,
3: we should say as well, in the webcam this month, we are joined. Oh. We've got myself. We've got a very sexy, shirtless uh, PJ. Indeed. And we've got the little meerkat um, bringing you oh. the show today in the uh,
4: in the meerkats.
3: webcam uh, sessions. Nice. Uh, guys, if you want more of the show, and of course you do, um, patreon.com slash booksboys. Now, did you know you can... Um, Increase your own worth because, you know, everyone always says, well, a, a paying listener is worth a thousand uh, free listeners. So <laughs> increase your own worth for yourself and for us and get us uh, some support on there. Patreon.com slash booksboys. Uh, I'll tell you what you get. You get the episode a day or the main episode a day. That's fine. That's nice. Uh, it's only two dollars fifty or sorry, two pounds fifty or three dollars uh, per month. It's about three euros as well. That's a bargain. And you you also get. The Caper Captains, which is our Agatha Christie um, murder mystery reviews, you get... uh, We've just done our first uh, film fellows, and there's a second one uh, to come. Spicy there's some playboys and things on there as well, which is our Shakespeare's there's interviews from the vault with musicians. There's so much stuff on there ah. There's a poetry pals. So there's, there's a, there's a lot of stuff on there and you know, there's, there's not like a specific, we're going to do the same things every month, but every month there's something extra going on there. Um, so there's good. always, there's always going to be some content, you know, built up over time. So um, it's, it's worth checking out. And if you want to donate more, you can actually tell us what to
1: read on the show or get a t-shirt. So there's a lot of stuff you can do. And don't don't forget, guys. especially playboys, we've gotta raise six episodes of Shakespeare going into uh one play at a time in deaths, and they're quite long, actually quite detailed as well, so um yeah, the idea was
3: content. mini episodes, but some of them ended up being like it's full really and are like full episodes, yeah, yeah, so like. <laughs> So, there you go, guys. So, we want to listen to it. And also, let's just say hello to our patrons, but also to everyone uh, from the TNC network and, of course, everyone listening in Oxford on uh, Radio Oxon. So, hello from myself, PJ, and the little meerkat who's, uh, who's joined us today. Hello. Now, PJ, did you know that this month's uh, sponsor is protectressofmyheart.gov? Oh. So, the new government agency for the Pr- Dumas style uh, protectress of my heart you want to find yourself a nice little coquette to, to be a protectorist, you can certainly do that. Good lord. And also we're sponsored, of course, by Norwood Investing, LLC, and I'll put the link in the show notes and on booksboys.com. We are an investment center focusing on helping you become more financially independent. We will help you grow your wealth by creating a comprehensive case plan that best suits your goals. Once we do this, we will start diversifying your assets through stocks, bonds, ETFs, and much more. We also offer courses on trading stocks, bonds, options, and spreads, as well as setting up an IRA based on your risk tolerance. Courses are part of the subscription for no extra charge, and all the services are $650 for a year year that's 12 months of service so it's norwood investing llc now we're going to have a quick ad break to hear from one or two other great podcasts and then pj and i will be back with our recommendations
2: so what are you going to listen to now You could
1: browse endless podcast lists and take a shot. You could ask your mates and wait for no one to reply.
4: Or you could listen to us, your friendly castologist, the professional pickers of all things podcast.
1: Zane,
3: Nick and Liz listen to all the things so you don't have to and find the best podcast that should
1: be on your radar. Every Monday, we're coming at you with three hand-picked podcast recommendations.
3: Then we review each other's selections so you know what's really good. Will we always agree with each other's picks? Yeah, probably not. But hey, you're clever. You know how that's sort a of reviews work. You got this. Oh, that's Not Kind of Productions podcast. Do you like
0: murder? True crime? Real-life documentaries? Well, that's not this podcast. We talk about our favourite movies, least favourite movies, and on occasion, brand new movies. Do you want to feel validated in your hatred of a movie or a character? Do you want someone who also notices the odd clothing choices Or which villain is actually a low-key hero? Then tune in to Two Chicks Talkin' Flicks. Episodes available on all streaming platforms.
3: And I should mention, um, I actually listen myself to Two Chicks Talkin' Flicks every week. We did a crossover episode. Myself and Sarah, we talked about both the book and movie of Psycho, and that's up on our feed as a bonus episode. It's actually Film Fellows episode one, um, so you can get that already on all the podcast feeds, booksboys.com, Apple and Spotify. Okay, so PJ, we're going to have our recommendations. Uh, one thing I'll very quickly say first. Um, did you know that on the 3rd of July, uh, we have an album coming out? I
1: did, yes. My God. So this is going so, to be... Yes. Yeah,
3: so we have... We have um, I, well, actually, I have my own album. Oh, I yes, exactly. Album, yes, so I knew there was something else. There's two albums, yeah. actually. You can get this in Spotify, Amazon. <sighs> the clips are on TikTok. It's in all the places that you buy music and listen to wow. music. Um, So I went through over 200 songs that I had made over 12 years. Well, it's called The Dozen Most Listenable. But the trick is it's a baker's dozen because it's 13 songs. And it was over 12 years, but it's actually over 13 years. Um, And I made, um, and I put together some of the songs. So with a very cheesy 80s album cover, and that's going to be on Spotify from July 3rd. Um, But it didn't include any songs we'd worked on together because we have a second album, both of us, um, our and again, I lied because it's got a decade of friendship, but it was actually songs made over an 11-year career. So I'm rounding all the numbers. but uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we have another dozen songs um, from, from the two of us. Now, we've played a couple of our songs on the show before. Um, but what I'm going to close, someone said actually that I've never played yet on the show just one of my own songs by myself. So oh. I thought, well, since the album's launching. I'll play yeah. uh, La Cara Cara oh, at nice. the end of this episode. The classic, That's which okay. is also
1: available on YouTube, guys, if you want to have a listen which to is that It's also on YouTube, one, actually, YouTube. yeah. Nice one, yeah. Well
3: done. I, you, you
1: knew more than oh, I thought. I follow your YouTube, our YouTube all the time. Love it, yeah. Very good. So La Cara Cara's on there. Um, I'll
3: have to put up a single from the joint album as well. I'll do that nice, tomorrow. Nice, nice. But PJ, do you want to go first with the recommendations
1: or shall I? Uh, well, guys, talking about Nagubiwa Tiong'o, I love his name, by the way. Um, I want to recommend the first novel I've read, but his, I read it twice. I liked it that much. It's called The River Between, uh, which is, let's just say it's a Romeo and Juliet story about two um, um, two basic, it's a village parted in, in two. They've got, one is very pro-Christian. And one is just like, we're not going, we're not going there. We're going to stick to our tribe, to our Gikuyu uh, traditions. We, we don't want that. Uh, one of them, um, you know, they, they follow different rules. And it's a great Roman and Juliet story, except it's, it's a lot more uh, intriguing because you've got all these political, Christian, nationalist, tribal sort of conflicts as well. And as well, the protagonist, the Romeo figure, he kind of just wants to educate his own tribe. So the Gikuyu tribe, he kind of doesn't agree 100% with Gikuyu. He also agrees partially with the Christians. And he's ultimately kind of stuck, let's just say, in okay. the river between the two. And so is she, who's technically supposed to be a Christian, yet she feels the, she feels inside her blood as to, that she wants to belong to the Gikuyu and um, so it becomes very interesting so read it the river between
3: and i've got two recommendations Bj. the first one is the vanished man 2003 by jeffrey deaver oh um, who actually wrote one of the recent james bond novels and um, but he's most famous for this series of novels about uh a disabled a paraplegic uh, cop lincoln rhyme okay. so he's actually a retired cop but he's so intelligent and so you know, experience that the, the police use him essentially as a, as a consultant still. Right. Um, so it's himself and one or two, you know, set sort of cops that he works with, including his partner, Amelia Sachs. Um, now, the most famous one is the first novel in the series, The Bone Collector. That was made into a rather poor movie. Um, <laughs> but no, I didn't think much of the film, uh, to be honest. But this one... So this one is... The Vanished Man, and you mentioned about magic earlier, so that's this. This you know fits in very, very well. Mm. And this one, the criminal is a magician. Okay, mm-hmm. um, I should say by the way, the Bone Collector movie stars Angelina Jolie and Denzel Washington. Maybe you, maybe I'm the only one who thought it was garbage because they're good actors. <laughs> I don't know. But um, so what we have is you know, he, he, everyone's coming to him for, for his advice. He it's in New York. He's the, the ultimate kind of, you know, experienced cop. He's got databases for forensic evidence. Mm. He works a lot in forensics. That's his thing. Mm. Um, so like, he's not, he's not a Poirot type character. You know, it's, it's all about the evidence. Okay. Um, and he's a mean, snappish kind of guy, but you know, I guess if you were disabled in an accident and almost lost your life and career, you would be too, maybe, but um, <laughs> okay. he's, lo- he's lovable as well. You know, you, you kind of have to see through the exterior. Um. And, yeah, so they catch this villain who kills people by using magician's tricks, basically, right. in, a, in a killing. A bit of Alice Cooper vibe in there, you know, doing the tricks in, in a murderous kind of way. It's the, it's the fifth in the series, but it was the first one I read that got me in. And I, then I went and read dozens of Jeffrey Deaver novels. So I really, yeah. really recommend uh, that one. Huh. But, PJ, uh, my other recommendation, it's, I don't know if you've heard of this now. It's a book called uh, Raising St. Elizabeth by Leah Holbrook Sackett.
1: Well, you know what? I actually have heard of her. Now, that sounds like an interesting book. I haven't read it yet. Wow, okay.
3: It's an interesting one. If you want to combine Judeo-Christian mythology with fairy tales like Stiltskin, with uh, just yeah, mysticism mixed with realism and, and a whole lot of different stuff going on, um, it, it it's a really interesting uh, one to talk about.
1: Kind of a bit. Okay,
3: two seconds. I, I think that actually yeah? I hear the phone ringing. What? Shall we? Shall we see who's calling
1: in? I suppose we better check it out. I hope, it, I hope it's not that bill about that about that tea party we had drinking so much tea the other day. You know, we're always I'm sending always, was, bills yeah, for that. Know, so. yeah. Let's check it out then. That's right.
4: Sure. Oh, so PJ, I'm just yeah. going to
1: answer the phone here and All right. got on the
4: line. Hi. What, who is it? This is Leah Holbrook, second. Oh my god! Hi,
1: Leah. <laughs> that's, that's a that's a crazy coincidence. We were is just talking. happening? Like I don't know. I don't know how. <laughs>
4: Yeah, we we're just talking. That's about That's amazing! You. Oh my god, well,
1: I can't believe the amount of coincidences in in this show. But wow, it's great having you. Um, how are you?
4: you? I'm good. I'm good. Wasn't uh, you know nervous calling in, but
1: <laughs> oh well. Look, don't be don't be too nervous. We're just two chaps talking about books. That's how <laughs> that's how we are. Oh, this is awesome. Uh,
3: so, Leah, with, why don't we introduce you a little bit to the listeners? So, why don't you tell us a little bit about your writing and what you do?
4: Um, okay. I mostly write short stories. I've had over 75 published short stories in different journals. Most of that during COVID. Wow. Um, yeah, COVID was great for me. Wow. <laughs> I wow. was very productive. Um, I God. had three books published, uh, two collections of short stories. And one a novella that's a hybrid magical realism and historical fiction.
1: oh, I like that
4: and I guess it's basically what I write i'm uh trying to my hand at an actual novel because I was five thousand words short of a novel when I okay. wrote my novella oh. <laughs> and, and I was just like, "No, the story is done. I'm not yeah, going to yeah. put a bunch of fluff in You're it.
1: You're not going to do the told Story Anna Karenina method, which is just basically you have a short story and then you have an agriculture manual and build around it. You're not going to do that. Yes, we
3: we always joke yeah. about Anna Karenina. It's about fifty pages of novel, seven hundred pages story. of
1: farming <laughs> manual. You know. yeah.
4: I, I I didn't want to do that. I wanted to write something people might yeah. want to read, not what they have to read because it was assigned.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I get it. Oh, awesome! And hold on, a did you did you write most of that during COVID? Like a great majority of um, those.
4: My first book that was published, oh. I wrote that during my MFA. Okay, yes. That was my dissertation. I just didn't publish it till last summer, okay. and um, okay. yeah, <laughs> and uh, I had time suddenly. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, then everything else I wrote during COVID. Yeah. Wow,
3: that, that's oh. incredible. Because I, I mean, I had looked on your site, and obviously, there's a, a huge amount, yeah. as you say, over seventy stories. Um, but I had assumed that you know you'd done that over a decade or something <laughs> no. not, not all of it in the last year wow yeah. wow that, that that's insane yeah it's
4: um, just like a fountain i don't know <laughs> in fact well, that, um i have two novels i'm working on and then i got an idea the other day for another novel and i was almost like oh no <laughs> <You know? laughs>
1: oh but, that, but that, that's that's awesome so and you're still in this creative flow it's it's not stopping it's just
0: it keeps yeah, it on coming it and is. what
1: what made you uh, can you pinpoint it? what made you so inspired Was it just as COVID started? Was it the lockdown that you were in your kind of locked in your room and you had to write or what was it?
4: Um, Well, yeah, kind of, there was nothing else to do. Mm. Um, So, and there was nothing else for me to let, let it make excuses that I had to do this Mm -hmm. or I had to do that. I had nothing, Mm. you know, Wow. Um, but also I have an illness and I had been sick the past several years Okay. So I didn't get really anything out during that timeframe and I'm healthy now. And so now it's just like, I've just taken advantage of that. And,
1: wow. it's um, the time to go for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
4: Inspir-
1: inspiring. Wow. That's great. Congratulations. Thank um, you. getting so much stuff done.
0: Uh, yeah. And I love the, I love
1: the blend of magical realism and uh, historic, what, what was it? Historical? Historical
4: fiction. Yeah. All right, okay.
1: I, I was, yeah, awesome. so I, was yeah. I was reading about about Raising St.
3: Elizabeth PJ yeah. and there's a there's a lot of different vibes in there you know you've got the realism you got the fiction I love uh, that some stuff going on yes <laughs> so I, I was surprised to see that it is only a novella because it sounds like there's a lot of different ideas in there
4: yeah um I don't I'm pretty tight with my words because I write short stories so I think that's how I could take so much and just condense it into a very solid piece Um, because I write short stories and that's what you do in a short story you don't have the Mm. the room to elaborate too far I also don't want to tell the story in the sense where I'm telling the reader what to think I want to give them enough room to make the connections themselves.
3: Wow. Right. So would you say that you don't maybe close off every single idea? You let people kind of think on it themselves then? Or Yes.
4: Yes. Um, like not everyone picks up on the Rumpelstiltskin, ah. you know, and they're still happy with the book, but um, mm-hmm. it is a retelling of Rumpelstiltskin in a sense.
1: Oh, okay, okay, that,
3: so that's
1: curious. So go ahead, BJ. No, I just love the mixture of genres and uh, the way you describe it that, uh, um, well, the way it's described on your site that's just a mixture of different stories. It's all very fantastic, it's all very uh, creative. I i love that when I write myself, I love to be, um, yeah, I love Angela Carter and I love Gabriel Garcia Marquez, I love all those <laughs> magic realists, and um, a bit of I mean, it's realism but was a bit of magic and that's, that's what I love. And that's why I'm getting, those are the vibes I'm getting from your kind of fiction. Would, would you say that's true?
4: Yes. Yes. I yeah. have other pieces that are magical realism. I'm, I think I'm huh. kind of subtle with my magical realism, like okay. in um, Raising St. Elizabeth,
0: mm-hmm.
4: there is a magical realism, but I also very heavily built it off of Judeo-Christian mythology. Mm-hmm. Um. I was raised Catholic and then I converted to Judaism. So I got the whole scope going and, (laughs) and so I, I, I put that all, all of that in there. And, um, you know, sometimes I would stop, take, take a step back, look at it. Is this too much?
1: (laughs) Wow. Uh, And can I ask you about your uh, working schedule? That always interests me. When do you write or do you, do you have a schedule and when do you write?
4: I do have do. A, a routine. Um, okay. I like routines, but I am never going to be the kind of person that just sticks straight yeah, to yeah. it. You know, no, I'd pull my hair out. Um, okay. But I generally get up every day, whether it's Monday through Friday or the weekend, mm-hmm. around 730, 830, make my espresso, sit down, go through my email, and then I just start writing. Some days I could write for four hours. Some days I could write for eight hours. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. It just depends on what's there you know that that urge. urge to get it out
1: <laughs> balzac style then just a coffee and constant <laughs> <there. I'm> <laughs> never never sleeping wow <laughs> no, i like that yeah that that is awesome uh would you also write uh, what i'm curious about lately is um uh, about authors now i've read like some author they just go to their office and they just write and they just write but I, I also think about, like, inspiration and, like, write. But also, like, when you feel like stopping, stopping. Now, do you believe more in the technique of just write and, yeah, I'm not really feeling it, but I'm just going to stick to it? Or do you feel like you, you should stop when you don't feel the urge anymore? Um, Even if it's not coming on that day and you, like, might have to sacrifice one day. Right. How do you feel about that?
4: Um, I would prefer to just write and push through it. Wow, okay. But sometimes sometimes you just can't you know and so you have to know when to let it go and um i normally the way i when i let it go (laughs) because i'm not really doing Uh. that um i have multiple stories i work on at a time so if i get stuck on one Uh i'll just hop over to one of the other ones and it usually kind of frees me up and i'm like oh oh that's Uh what i wanted to do and then i can go back all right uh, yeah.
3: Wow. that surprises me, I would have thought that working on, I mean, I couldn't even read two books at the same time, never mind write two, you know, like I would have thought working on two things at once would would be confu- more confusing and more difficult, no?
4: No, I find it freeing because f- yeah. you can get in there with a story and the characters are just they are doing things you're not expecting them to do. It's going off on a tangent and you you got to get rid of that chapter. It's not working and uh-huh. instead of just giving up and walking away, I just mm-hmm. um, I pull up a different story that I'm not stuck on, and then it kind of I don't know, bolsters you. Too. I like
1: that. I like that. Um, Never thought I, about. Tell me about the. Tell me about the inspiration for
3: the the cover art um, actually of Raising Saint Elizabeth because I love that cover.
4: Art. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> it is uh, based on the kind of the Adam Eve apple orchard mm-hmm. uh, temptation aspect of her in the orchard with Milton. And yeah, um, great, yeah. all of the, you know, the, Milton is named for John Milton. Yeah. And uh, like I said, there's a lot of Judeo Christian mythology built in there, uh, with names of characters and what mm. they do. And I, I don't know, but I don't give too much away. I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. And you're talking about the seven deadly sins. So I mean that's yeah. like the first that's like the first sin. Um, sure, that's what broke uh that's what broke Adam and Eve's. Uh, innocent relationship, I love it. Um, and do you? Because um, we were just talking about the other the other month about um, uh, we were just talking about Christopher Marlowe's uh, Doctor Faustus and about I'm not sure if you ever read it. So no, it's, I haven't. Well, it's a it's a great play about about sin, basically, and about the devil. And uh, just reminds me a bit of just a, probably not like your novel at all novella but it's basically the seven deadly sins they're personificated and basically they're just it, it's a great sort of metaphorical um story about a man who sells his soul to the devil um that sounds great i think it would be interesting <laughs> for you um so i like that idea that you talk about um you know about these stories that are based on judeo-christian um beliefs and mythology and that you're giving it a new kind of perspective perhaps or just just a retelling because that's always i find those stories very interesting but the language is often so archaic it's so old-fashioned yeah you just need to you just need to redo it or maybe given it i love when they give it a feminist perspective like angela carter did or something Mm -hmm. like that i know that's also great yeah
4: Yeah, i was um uh, raising saint elizabeth started Hmm. um it just is a short story the first chapter okay and I got the idea. I was at uh, a poetry reading, and um, they were reading something, and they were saying St. John, you know, which in America we could say Saint John. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I was like, how does somebody get a name like that? You know, that's. And I thought, I wonder if there's a female equivalent. And so I had the idea of naming a character Saint you know, whatever. St. Elizabeth Mm. is what I chose. And I thought, you know, what kind of life would you lead with a name like that? That is really how it all got started. And then at one point, I don't know, I was, I was turning it into a Romeo and Juliet love affair thing. And I'm like, this is, I don't like this where this is going. (laughs) So I had to like cut the story in half. I probably would have had a novel cut the story in half and focus. um, I didn't want her to be saved by a man.
3: Mm. right good I good. like that yeah
1: it's cool
4: she had to be her own hero I mean she had yeah. support but she had to be her own mm-hmm. hero
1: oh well, I love that yeah that's uh, what you need especially for you know um, the kids and yeah. what I'm talking about not just the kids but women nowadays they just need you need to switch it around bit. you can't have the Romeo saving or well, if Romeo doesn't save Juliet, but you can't yeah. have this Romeo <laughs> figure you can't have this male figure all the time saving God, yeah. save yourself first
4: yeah
3: okay. yeah and let's quickly touch on um the other two releases that you had so that swimming middle river yes. and i love the name of this oh. white knight escort service
4: thank you that's good cool, <laughs> yeah. again the
3: artwork for this is brilliant
1: cool so, titles. So.
3: Those a are great titles so the white <laughs> knight escort service i mean that because that touches in with what we were kind of talking about a moment ago but um you know is is that more your traditional like yeah. is this a white knight savior type vibe
4: yes and you know it's a uh, drawings there of alice and mm-hmm. and the white knight mm-hmm. i'm a big alice fan i belong to <laughs> the lewis carroll north america society I, oh, you know, cool. yeah, cool. yeah. <laughs> and so i really i love coming of age stories um yeah. And I write them all the time. I would think that I would exhaust it at some point, but no, I still, (laughs) I still want to write about that. And uh, so, you know, the white knight escorting Alice through the woods really kind of encompassed all those stories that are in there. So my stories are a little more. Perverse, <laughs> yeah, they're not child friendly like Alice, but right. <laughs> yeah. well, Louis, uh,
1: let's be honest, Lewis Carroll has you know some dubious claims on him, but <laughs> all right, yeah, okay. But I mean, that's cool that you're um, so it's basically like an adult's fairy tale,
4: um, yeah, it's it's stories for adults for sure, yeah, but awesome. it's usually the main character in all those stories is a child trying to grapple with an adult world, and right. um. I don't know why I am so drawn to that, but I am. And I'm not in my office right now. My husband took over the office during okay. COVID. And so the whole office is done in Alice. And I have <sighs> Alice in the dining room where I'm at, and the kitchen, and the bedroom.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
4: So. What? That was a fun one to do.
3: Well, let me ask you something, because you've been doing a massive amount of writing, uh, obviously, during the the COVID pandemic. Have you had a chance to do much reading?
4: Not as much as I normally would, yeah. And I thought, Hmm. I got to read. I have to read because I'm writing. Um, But I guess I've done so much reading up to this point (laughs) (laughs) that it kind of carried me. Um, But I am back to reading. It was cool.
3: Um, What's the last book you've read or what are you working on at the moment?
4: Right now, I'm reading Station Eleven oh okay and it's a dystopic uh world where the world was hit with a a pandemic and um what the (laughs) aftermath of that is like and i'm like wow did this person write this during COVID?
1: (laughs) (laughs) wow okay i love dystopia Uh, are you enjoying it
4: i am i am enjoying it before that i read the woman in the window
1: which was about about about
4: an agoraphobe psychologist
1: ah okay cool yeah okay wow okay well I love a bit bit of dystopia um so we we, we both love
3: dystopia yeah we're we're thinking about maybe in the future doing a dystopia you know themed episode uh, specifically yeah Yeah, yeah.
4: one of my new novels is dystopia already yeah
3: one that you're you're working on at the moment
4: yeah it's 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 gonna (laughs) take a while I just have to you know uh, just be okay with that Wow. Um, it's eugenics and euthanasia and big pharma and life insurance and health insurance and everything.
1: Everything. Yeah. Well, do you have a favorite dystopian novel? One that reads really the words right of my mouth, PJ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I Your don't know.
4: Favorite, I guess I would have to say 1984. Yeah. classic. I, yeah. When he came up with Ingsoc, the language Ooh. and all that, I'm like, I oh, know that's dad. insane,
1: right?
4: He predicted texting yep i'm like That's he, amazing. it's amazing
1: it's, it's so good uh, he predicted i mean i love that concept of like you know take away the words justice from the from a language and you know if you don't have the word in your language you're not brought up with the concept then why should you ever necessarily think about it it's, right. it would be very hard to rebel so it's a clever idea Oh, it's so good. Okay. Yeah,
4: it, it is. Yeah. Like, I, I need to reread it. it...
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's... it's a true
3: masterpiece. And sometimes I walk along and I see things in the modern world. And I just say, like, have oh. these people
4: not
1: read 1984? <laughs> yes. Like, come on, yeah. guys. <laughs> <laughs> Except they're all little brothers. That's the only thing. Little brothers instead of big brothers. Otherwise, he has got it. Yeah.
3: and you want to tell us briefly then before we wrap up about you do some uh, writing teaching as well?
4: Yes, but it's on the more boring side um business oh. writing and copyright copywriting can be fun i've won two awards mm, doing that wow. when i when i used to do that it's full-time job um i wrote for tidy cats and okay. uh i had to do a whole dialogue and create a screenplay for sweepstakes and there were these little animated cats and <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> um so those are that's the kind of writing that i teach uh mm. i like all of it it's all got its purpose and I like having something that students can walk away from with mm. and take it with them, really take it with them.
1: Yeah. Wow. And I think that's a good kind of, um, you know, you've got a very kind of structured, you know how to write. Do you know what I mean? It's not just kind of like, oh, I've got great stories. And yeah, but you, you kind of know you've got the backbone. You've got that skeleton of writing. Which is good, I think, even if it's, even if it's maybe less creative stuff so i mean yeah
3: i mean even even if it's a different kind of writing it's always good to, to actually be taught by someone who has done the write. thing you yeah. know so yeah. yeah but pj do you have any more questions before i move on to the
1: the final question i've got so my questions but uh hold on a second but because i'm really inspired by by all that you say i've just got uh one more question and that question is why should people read all right. Ooh, That's a tough question. But why do you think people should read?
4: So they can get to know themselves.
1: Uh, that's a good answer.
4: I think when you read, you go into those characters and you see what fits you and what doesn't. Mm. And I think the, a good story challenges you mm-hmm. to, to grow, to have a, get a new perspective on the world. And I, I think that's why mm-hmm. people should read.
1: Wow. I like that.
4: Otherwise, they're just going to like watch YouTube. <laughs> yeah,
3: well, you're right. You wow. do get to know yourself because it's a different experience. You don't you don't gain the same. You, you don't take the same thing away from you know watching YouTube or or mm-hmm. even a full length you know show. Uh, there's something special about reading. how have always thought. Yeah,
4: I, I was oh. going to say you um, brought up Swimming Middle River earlier, mm-hmm. just last week that was blocked on Amazon. As offensive.
2: (laughs) Oh, my God.
4: Yeah, and they put it back up within a couple hours. My publisher got it back up. But there's a story in there about pedophilia. And I guess somebody was not comfortable with that
0: Mm,
3: okay Um,
4: but i was like my husband's like that's good you got banned that's great yeah that's great
3: (laughs) (laughs) so you're not you're not afraid to touch on difficult subjects
4: no not at all and um my father wonders why i write about sex so much but um i'm like this is interesting and often often i find it humorous but oh yeah you know i'm his daughter he doesn't want to see that
1: and, <laughs> and now you belong to the the hooks the 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 harper lee you know the, that 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 clan of kind of you know we've been banned this, but we're awesome so like congratulations there are many of those in the u.s and now you're part of it even though it's just temporarily it's kind of gives you the cool status don't <laughs> worry about But i love i just i know dean has a question but i just want to say that i think that's great because sometimes I, I think like, why should, there, why should sometimes reading be a often uncomfortable experience? Mm-hmm. But then you remind me and answers like yours remind me that, wait a second, it, sometimes we need this. Sometimes we need a lack of comfort. Sometimes we need to be shocked mm-hmm. and realize, as you kind of said, like dwell into these characters and realize that you, maybe you don't want to be like them, see a different perspe- perspective, understand what's going on um in the world you know so i think that's very necessary to talk about dark themes we can't just always talk about light themes
4: yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm... i agree we,
3: <laughs> we can't just read pride and prejudice over and over again like oh
4: but know. i have no, but
3: that's nice too right that's nice
4: too. when i was pregnant with my daughter i read that to her i started with jane air right. and i was like jane air too dark for a fetus so <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the quote Jane too dark for So I read her Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> okay.
3: <laughs> actually, at the moment, um I've been reading I've been working my way through Jane Austen actually. Um so just while we're on the topic, do you have a favorite Jane Austen? Would it would it be Pride and, it Prejudice, is Pride or- and Prejudice? Yeah. yeah.
4: yeah.
3: Oh. Mine's it's actually night- Northanger Abbey, which oh. is a strange choice, but
4: I- Austen is excellent in everything. Yeah, you know it was there good go. enough for my baby
0: <laughs>
3: there, there, there we go there you go well look let me ask you the final question that we ask everyone then and i'll i'll to take you unawares but if there's any classic book or any any you know it can be anything really fiction nonfiction, whatever but if there's any kind of piece of literature that you wish you had written um what would it be
4: well it probably would be alice uh, of um because i'm such a huge fan of that (laughs) but um also i really liked uh heineland stranger in a strange land i oh yes it's a great book i probably read that like seven or eight times and i would write in the margins and highlight it and it was interesting just Mm. to see my shift in perspectives as i got older and and i would Mm. read it every winter um I guess I'm a little obsessive I don't know but
0: <laughs>
4: no. but uh that one and uh Kate Chopin's The Awakening
1: okay well I, I actually don't know the Kate Chopin novel but I must say Stranger um Strangerland Thailand um is such a unusual kind of science fiction novel that's uh very, very bizarre very ahead yes. of it I mean Highland in general was very kind of you know ahead of his time wasn't he kind of a this nudist kind of what is he left wing is he right wing is he liberal well what, what is he like is he military is he pacifist and he's kind of like a strange sort of science fiction figure I mean
4: yeah I think that's one of those books it depends on when in your life you pick it up mm-hmm. how it's going to impact you mm. you know I was in my late teens so there he had so much in there that I was like what <laughs> I never thought of that um
1: it's pretty crazy yeah, yeah there's certain
3: things that you need to read more than once you know pj you'll remember this we used to have a a philosophy lecturer who always said you need to read the complete works of plato (laughs) twice once as a student and once as an old man you know you gotta you gotta see the difference between them you know keep reading them oh i've done one i've done one i'm waiting for the second
1: one when i get over it and me too Leah. i I also uh, reread like maybe 15 specific novels thousand times Uh, you know if you got a novel that you know there's just so much into it and you can reread it and then you see something else and it's like it's it's uh, it's it's really a wonderful experience i need to do that
2: more
3: because to be honest i very very rarely do go back and read something there's only a, maybe two or three novels i really have read more than once i, okay. I always just want more you know when, when i complete all the novels in the world i'll, I'll do round two but, you <laughs> know, I, I... there's so much about rereading i love it well Leah, thank you so much for calling in. Thank um you. We'll pop a link to your site, obviously, yeah. on the, on our blog, on our post on the episode, and of course, um, all the works are available. There's links on your site, and of course, on Amazon as well. So we'll we we'll link those out for you. Is there anything else that you'd like to plug?
4: Um, I don't think so. Um, just writing away. I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> do you have any oh. any word of advice to a young aspiring uh, young and elderly yes. inspiring author, authors, anyone who wants to write? What do you advise? When I
4: was in my late teens i had a teacher tell me this and he was so so right he said don't talk about your story Uh, because if you tell everyone the whole plot and everything you're planning on you get rid of that urge to get the story out and you'll never write it and i keep it inside yeah so i do that religiously
1: I totally agree with you there. I I also do that, actually, with my writing. Don't tell anyone. It's not the same anymore. Don't tell anyone. It
4: it is. I don't know why, but yeah, it's it's true.
1: Yeah, totally. Wow. Fair enough. Well, Leah, thank you so much
3: for calling in, and I hope that you have a great afternoon. It was lovely talking to you. Thank
1: you. It's awesome. Good luck with your writing. Can't can't wait to read it.
4: Thank you. Nice meeting you.
1: Okay. Bye. Okay.
3: Wow, well PJ, what a pleasure it was to speak with Leah. And wow. by the way, guys, Leah Holbrook Socket. I'll put the link in the notes, but Leah HolbrookSocket.com on Amazon, sorry, and everything as well. Um, so what I should say then is I think that
1: we're we're going a little bit longer than we planned.
3: Shall we wrap <laughs> up our super concise
1: super concise episode? Yeah, or super concise. This might be five minutes shorter than last one, but look, <laughs> look that's what the audience gets and what wants. And you look, we're we're over delivering. You know, we had a trend. We got longer, 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 longer. And then
3: all of a sudden, episode seven was a few seconds shorter than Good. episode six. And I thought, we've broken the trend. And then episode eight was just insanely long. Wow. So we just- as, our, as our hair
1: is getting longer, so are our episodes.
3: We're both getting some very long yeah, do, hair yes. at the moment.
1: Guys, I think that, um, as I
3: say, booksboys.com for the general portal to everything, all the social media links are on there, links to iTunes, whatever else. And yes, we do say there's music you know, coming out if you want to support oh, yes. us, patreon.com slash booksboys. But sometimes the biggest way to support us is just to tell a friend to listen or maybe leave us a review on your podcast. or choice. And if you're
1: interested in meditation, especially for meditation for couples, well, why don't you check out the com and check out what- There's a link there on, on booksboys.com to that as
3: well. Cool. Well, what we'll do okay. is we'll take you out with La Cara Cara, And if the DJ will please spin that record and we'll be back in about a month.
2: i Her and make up her face, and just like a doll, put her in a cute dress. White screens, bright lights, so many photos, shouting instructions for so many poses. She's exhausted at having a second thought, or a she should have been so easily born. born. Spare. Rips off a doll's dress and tears out her hair. Later comes a call on the telephone. A man saw the shoot and who wants to meet her all alone? He's a famous artist and he wants to paint her. Tells her this is a chance to give her world a shaker. Painting was commissioned for a larger amount. Both the artist and the girl enlarge their bank accounts. She goes to the gallery on opening night. Sees herself on the wall and shrieks with delight. She's done it all, her story's at her end. She's a true star now, doesn't have to pretend. No one can ever put her in a place. They've all come to see the expensive face.
3: Books Boys was presented by The Dean and PJ Burke in association with Thaddeus Penguin Productions. Ha! <laughs> This episode was brought to you by our sponsor, ProtectressOfMyHeart.gov. If you would like to get in touch, you can email us at booksboys at hotmail.com or visit us at booksboys.com. The intro uses Driving in the 70s from the Of Soundtracks and Garage Fans EP by Trapdoor. And the outro uses Dog's Light by Bravo Max, from the album of the same name. All music used is either pod safe or used with permission. If you'd like to support the show, click on the Amazon or Audible referral links of BooksBoys.com or go to Patreon.com BooksBoys and get all of the Bufanda Boys bonus shows. Thank you kindly for listening to us. Please tell your friends and come back next time. For another episode of Books, Boys.
2: Read some books!
3: Well, PJ, we came in ten minutes shorter, nine minutes shorter in the end, so that's something. Um, But coming up soon, we've got our film fellows with Nightmare on Elm Street. And you know, next month, I'm only reading one book. Count of Monte Cristo, all month.